Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Tuesday, January 9th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. James is your producer. And coming up today on the morning briefing... Justin Brown of Hill Vets will be back in the studio. He's back in D.C. because Congress is back in session. There's all sorts of facts going on, and we're just glad that Justin's going to be back with us on our backs. Well, I guess that part's not true. It's just I got caught up in the moment. You know what happens. All right, so Justin's going to be in here, and then we're going to replay an interview that we had with a very impressive wounded warrior, Rico Roman. Rico is not only one of our amazing wounded warriors, Rico is also an Olympic medalist, a gold medalist in sled hockey at the Paralympics, and he's gearing up for the next Winter Olympics as well. We talked to Rico a little while ago, and we're going to replay that interview coming up today, so you definitely don't want to miss that. And of course, we'll be talking about the latest and greatest news from in and around the military and veteran communities. And now... Let's welcome super producer Jake Hughes into the studio. Jake, how are you this morning? I am not getting on my back for Justin Brown. Well, if he gets on your back, like you carry him around, like oh. a master blaster situation, like uh, Beyond he's Thunderdome. He's taller than me, though. It'd have to be me on his on his oh, back. Oh, he's a vegan. I don't know if he'll be able to lift that much oh, weight onto his back. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that he's a vegan and they don't have a lot of energy. Also, you and I are both quite heavy. Yes, that's true. That's true. I got on a scale... <laughs> My So my mother-in-law and her friend were in town for um, New Year's weekend to celebrate Christmas with their grandson since they weren't able to be, uh, my mother-in-law wasn't able to be down here for Christmas. We went to uh, this this very cool kind of mall place up near where we live that's in an old mill. They converted it into shops and little boutiques and stuff and a, a, a tavern in there as well that was really good and makes their own beer and stuff like that. And that was That was my favorite part of the place. <laughs> There was an antique store, and when my son got a little restless in the tavern and the ladies weren't done eating, we went and walked over into the antique store and looked around. There were some scales in there, and I stepped onto one and said, ha, clearly this thing is very old and not working properly because that number, there's no way that I weigh that number. And then I got on the scale that was next to it and said, okay, this scale is slightly less broken, but still very broken. It's about five pounds less broken. It was uh, not good. So I actually, because of that, and you know what? This is something that I I think we should talk about because a lot of us struggle with this after we get out. When you're in, you're kind of active by requirement. You're moving around a lot more. You have PT with your unit, depending on where you are. I mean, half of my commands, we didn't PT together. It was on you to go out and do it on your own because we were very small commands. Um, But, you know, there, there are aspects of military life that help keep you in shape or at least are supposed to help you keep from getting too out of shape i mean we all know we've seen those guys where it's just like 
250 pounds of chewed bubble gum jammed into a uniform. Yeah. We've seen Semper those pie. guys out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and I, yeah, I, I got a little too heavy at some points in my military career, but I was never morbidly obese or anything like that. <laughs> I was never one of those guys you'll see in the picture where the buttons are stressing on their uniform and the you know they're they're trying to blouse. They don't even need to blouse their uh, their their bootstraps basically <laughs> they just allow their cankles to do it for them you know uh, what i mean yeah but when we get out you're not pting anymore as well some of us aren't i know i haven't been and over the last couple of years i've put on quite a bit of weight unfortunately so now i you know i'm one of those guys i don't like just going to the gym and getting on a treadmill or the bike it's it's boring to me it's, yeah I like, i'm the same way i like competing like I will not run a mile for no reason just to run a mile, but if you put a basketball out on the court, I'll run three miles playing basketball and have a blast doing it. It's, it's for me, it just comes down to interest and what interests me and what doesn't. And that's just part of my personality, I guess. Things that interest me, I love going full speed at. Things that don't, meh, yeah, I don't see, have to do it. I'm see, my to. problem is all the things that interest me can be accomplished from my couch. Yeah, there you go. So that that's the other big problem. That's the other problem. I mean, like most of the basketball I've been playing lately has been on my Xbox and that, <laughs> uh, you know, my thumbs are in great shape. But other than that, it, it's a bit of an issue. So what I recently did actually is signed up for a free week with the intent of signing up for a monthly membership after that at a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym up near my house. Something that I've done uh, a little bit during my time in the military, mostly uh, just messing around overseas in gyms and stuff like that and taking the entry-level Modern Army Combatives course and things like that. But it's it's a good way to compete, to stay in shape. It's a good workout, helps with your flexibility. But honestly, I haven't done anything physical as far as regularly in quite a while. Yes. And when you then when you go do something physical, like I went skiing this past winter, not this winter, the last year, early 2017, went skiing, my wife and I, and on some of the bigger uh, mountains, I had to stop like halfway down because my legs were just dead. I was I didn't know if I would be able to continue <laughs> staying on my feet. So I'd stop halfway down and be like, eh, just give it 30 seconds and then go. You know, it could be worse, but that was not a good sign when it's like, well, all I'm doing is this turning thing, which does take a lot of energy and you have to know what you're doing and everything. But it was a sign to me a year ago that I hadn't been doing enough to keep in shape. So that's what I've done now. I've signed up both myself and my son. Going to take my son. We were supposed to go last night, but there was an ice storm in the area. So they closed down. They called me yesterday and let me know. Uh, that's also why we will be replaying our interview with the fabulous Rico Roman at 8 o'clock because our guest today, uh, Ernesto from Wounded Paw Project, just didn't feel safe getting out on the roads and coming in here early this morning and totally understand that because you and I both drove in. There was ice all over the place at my uh, complex where I live. I'm actually lucky that I tested it out. So I parked, my wife parked in the driveway and didn't do a great job of it. So. Ah. I couldn't also park in the driveway because she's kind of <laughs> taken up a bit too much. So I had to go park on the curb. And when I went to get into the car, I put my left foot on the curb. And all of a sudden, my left foot was not on the curb. And the curb was covered in like a half-inch thick sheet of oh, ice. Oh, wow. Now, the regular, the ground wasn't. I think they salted it. I think that's why the uh, the road in the parking lot wasn't. But the curb next to the car was uh, quite icy. And then driving down, a little bit of ice. But the bigger problem was fog this morning. Oh, yeah. It was really foggy. This, it still is. It's it was, as I was driving in, right around 32 degrees, and you know, for those of us who barely passed science, we know 32 degrees is where water freezes, and of course, it's also where it begins to melt. So 32 is that, that magic point, and it's getting warmer. It's supposed to be in the 40s today here in our nation's capital. 
as that ice melts, the, the mist comes off of it, essentially, the condensation, and that's what was going on there. So we totally understand, and we're going to have her. We have Ernesto rescheduled already. He's going to be in here on Thursday at 8. We moved around some stuff on our schedule, so we'll be good to go with that. But we'll be playing an interview with the amazing Rico Roman, gold medalist and wounded warrior, coming up at 8 o'clock. So there's somebody. He's kept himself in shape. Rob Jones has kept himself in shape. Kirsty Ennis has kept herself in shape. And the three of them have serious injuries where they lost limbs. What's our excuse, Jake? Pure laziness. <laughs> I don't know if that's an excuse. That's a reason, I guess. <laughs> there is no excuse for what we're doing. So I'm trying to do that. We're going to see if my son takes to it. Hopefully he does. But either way, I'm going to go to it at least a few times a week. I mean, it's a, it's a monthly membership. And that's the kind of thing that I think for those of us out there who do struggle with that, going to the gym and just getting on a treadmill like a hamster or going out on the road, too cold to go out on the road and run right now where we are. But, um, you know, there are a lot of people who do struggle with that, who like the sports, maybe like the sense of competition. But as you get older, it's not as easy to find a pickup game of basketball. It's not like you can go out and play sandlot baseball with your buddies. I guess you can, but nobody seems to have time for it. People have kids, business, mortgages, all sorts of things that they have to worry about. So I've kind of adulting. Yeah. So I I figured let's, I'm going to find something for myself and and find something to try and help me get into a shape other than round, as I put it to our buddy, Mike Gartel yesterday. Yeah. Right now I'm focusing on watching what I eat. That's a big thing. Yeah. That's a big thing for me is that I think is my problem is I eat healthy, small breakfast and lunch, but then when I go home, I order out. For dinner, uh, yeah. and you know, so like like very healthy lunch, very healthy breakfast, and then a giant burger, right? And it's not exactly working out for me. No. So I'm, I'm cutting back on the ordering out. I'm sticking to some frozen dinners, some barely prepared meals for myself. And- yeah, like I got a I got a head of lettuce at the grocery store yesterday after picking up my son, and I'm going to make a salad for my lunch today when I get home, and then maybe a, a steak for dinner, but without. You know, problem with burgers and stuff like that. A lot of that is the bread and the other stuff yeah. that you put on cheese and things like that that you put on top of it. Whereas just a regular steak, eh, not as bad, I guess, for you. It depends. Yeah, get grass fed, grass fed because the fat's good for you. It's I get kind of uh, I get my beef at Costco because uh, they have good deals on some things there. So <laughs> I don't know if it's grass fed. My wife is uh, convinced that they're. They're doing something to those chickens. I don't know if you're a Costco member, but they have rotisserie chickens available there. Costs like four dollars for a whole chicken, and they are amazing. And what they do is they put them in the back of the store, and they're priced so low they actually lose money on those chickens. I found out reading a story a couple years back. But the reason they put them in the very, very back of the store, if you're ever looking for a rotisserie chicken at Costco, you go to the back of the store. It's because that way you have to walk past everything to get to it and everything to get back from it. So it's kind of like the uh, they're forcing you to do a little bit more shopping. And you're probably just knowing that place. Every time we go there, it's at least $150 that we're spending when we go yeah, there. Yeah, it's psychology, man. They These stores, these companies, Business they know psych. us. Oh, yeah, they do. They know what they're doing. And those uh, rotisserie chickens, but my wife is convinced they're putting something in them. She's like, chicken's not supposed to taste that good and be probably that sugar. Lovely. Uh, yeah, could be. Could be sugar in there. Although I think she's looked at the ingredients because they have to post the ingredients on there and it's not that. It's something else. Maybe it's actually they're, they're jamming sugar into the chickens while they're still alive. Then they don't have to put it on the ingredients because ingredients is only what you do afterwards. I just made that up, though. I am not, <laughs> I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination that I believe that any poultry company is uh, injecting live chickens with sugar but 
Would I doubt yeah. it? Not necessarily, but I have no proof. Now I'm so. picturing giant needles full of high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> or, you know. or just a bunch of chickens eating like uh, juji fruits or <laughs> goobers. Why all, can't, why all movie candy? Probably because I went to a movie for the first time in a long time. I saw Coco, the new Pixar movie. Oh, yeah? Weekend. Is it good? It was very good. Yeah, it was long. And my son, uh, you know, we, we decided to all go on a Sunday. We all went out to the movies, which we hadn't done in a very long time. He's almost five. He turns five in, well, three days. So he turns five in three days and two-hour movies. So it was a little long for him, but he did pretty well there. But I really enjoyed the movie. I was actually planning... It's one of these new theaters that has the leather recliners that are soft and everything. Oh, yes. I was planning on napping a little bit during it (laughs) if I didn't care for the movie, but I ended up staying awake and watching the whole movie. It was good. All right, let's take a look at what's taking place around the world of the military and veteran community. Here's one coming out of Nashville, Tennessee, where the Tennessean newspaper down there reports that 42-year-old Corey Wilson was sentenced Monday in federal court in Nashville to a 44-month sentence and $500,000 in restitution to the Army. Why? Well, you see, Corey Wilson was a military equipment dealer, and he pled guilty to buying and selling stolen military equipment overseas. Three and a half years in prison, and two former soldiers were also charged in this, Michael Barlow and Kyle Head. Barlow was ordered to five years probation, and Head got 30 months in prison. There were eight people total involved in the plan to steal items from Fort Campbell, which is a military installation, of course, as we know, across the along the Kentucky-Tennessee state line. We've had four previously sentenced, and there's another one sentenced to be uh, sorry, scheduled to be sentenced today. So wait, so they were stealing the equipment from Fort Campbell and then selling it back to the army? Yeah. So what? How do they manage that? I mean, I'm sorry. Oh. They, they were they were stealing the stuff from the army, selling it to this military equipment dealer, who would then sell the stuff overseas. Oh, okay. So that was his way around it of trying to launder this stuff. Essentially, he was taking the stolen military equipment, and if you sell it in the United States, they're probably going to find like yeah, the army is right. going to be like, huh, that looks familiar. That Apache, I don't. They didn't sell any apaches but you know what i mean anything that's specific army equipment people are going to be like well where'd this come from there are rules and regulations in the united states that are set up to stop things like that whereas overseas eh, it's kind of fair game in most places. do we know what kind of stuff they stole uh let's it? see let's look at the full story here from the tennessee because well, the first thing that comes to mind is stuff from like arms room and stuff which that's a big deal that's like Things like uh, Picatinny rail systems for the weapons for like M16 M4s, or it could be something as big as vehicles. And I'm just I'm just trying to figure out what kind of equipment they stole that would have that long a sentence. Weapons parts. Yeah, there we go. Flight helmets, communications equipment, and medical supplies. So uh, a variety of things essentially. I mean, we're looking at. Uh, they said these. The, here's some images. Okay, so here's some images that they use. We got some scopes on here. Uh, red dot site looks like at least one of them and then what looks like the barrels of mm, it's hard to tell from this angle maybe a maybe a 60 eh, something big big uh automatic probably a 240 weapon yeah, it's hard to tell it's one of the ones that has the it's it's a 240 a 60 something it's got the big uh the handle on the side for carrying yeah but it's, it's 240 it's just the barrels so those are on there the equipment according to the tennessee and largely sold online using ebay Customers in Russia, China, Thailand, Japan, the Netherlands, Australia, India, Germany, and Mexico. Yeah. Uh, The fourth guy's name is Jonathan Wolford, who was in this group being sentenced. 
His hearing was delayed until Tuesday because his attorney was busy elsewhere on Monday, I guess, dealing with something at Fort Riley in Kansas. So, yeah, an interesting story. And one of those, like, I I never, in the Navy, it's a little bit harder. Not always. Now, I do remember some cases of people at Dermo, Defense Reutilization Office, essentially, uh, selling stuff that they weren't supposed to be selling, you know, that they thought nobody would miss and eventually being caught for it. I remember a case of that when I was stationed in Iceland. And then I do remember on a ship when it happened. And that's harder to do because you got to get stuff off of a ship. And there are people literally watching everything that comes on and off of the ship. The quarterdeck watch. That's what they do. Watching personnel, goods, everything that goes on and off of the ship. There's ways to get stuff out there. One way is uh, people would use is trash cans. In fact, a person on a ship that I was on was smuggled off of the ship using a trash can. Really? Yeah. They were on restriction. A young lady, I believe. And uh, some guy wanted her to be able to go out and party with him that weekend. <laughs> and when he was taking out the trash down onto the pier, took her out in a big, uh, big garbage can. Here's the problem. When you're on the pier, there's usually quite a few people looking around. And he didn't do it at a time where the pier is mostly empty. Somebody saw a person climbing out of a garbage can and sounded the <laughs> alarm. Like, yeah, what's going on over there? I think it was some chief who was like, what? Why is this uh, sailor climbing out of a garbage can? And the guy was like, uh, who? Yeah, they were uh, on restriction. Durr. And on that ship, they had a restriction board on the quarterdeck. Everyone who was on restriction, because amphibious assault ships, you're talking over a thousand sailors on board, right around a thousand sailors on board. So there's a lot of people on restriction at any given time, you know, 15, 20 people. They had a board with their pictures on there. So if they tried to sneak off, the quarterdeck would be like, eh, nope, there you are right there. You're not going anywhere. Uh, the one that I remember, though, were couple of young sailors trying to sell bulletproof vests out in town in Norfolk. Yeah, that they took off at, well, flak jackets, actually, not bulletproof vests, which there is a difference, um, that were used for watch standers. And somehow, I guess they wore them underneath their jackets and took them off and tried to sell them out in town. Turned out the guy they were trying to sell them to was like an undercover agent. Yeah, we had a guy at Fort Hood, not in my unit, but he was at this Fort Hood when I was there, tried to sell... uh, the manuals for the tanks to what he thought were Al Qaeda members. Ah, that Turned is, out to be cops. Yeah, that's probably going to get you some time right there. These kids on the uh, uh, on the ship on the, that was on the Saipan. These kids were just kind of dirt bags. They were kind of known to be dirt bags already. You know those guys you show up to a command and within like six months everybody already knows that they're scumbags. Yeah, <laughs> these guys were in that category and were trying to. Uh, they believed, from what I remember of the time and what I understood, they believed they were selling the uh, the flak jackets to drug dealers. So not only are you selling these things, you're trying to sell them to criminals out of the back of a car. Great idea. Of course, again, undercover agent. So they got busted and that was the end of their military careers. We've also got a bunch of great stories. Taking a look around connectingvets.com, of course, our website, which you should be checking out every day, at least once a minimum. One story is very cool. And this is one that our own Matt Sansing is working on. And that's a veteran down in Georgia. His house was absolutely falling apart. His name is John Green, 75-year-old Army veteran. And his house, if you go to the website, it's one of the top five stories up there. And you'll see the picture from the outside of it. To say that it's in disrepair is a bit of an understatement. I mean, it just looks absolutely brutal. Falling apart windows and screens that are missing and broken. A roof that looks like it's about to collapse. Well, here's the good part. We talked about this story a while back. Matt's uh, 
already done a story on the volunteers that were working to fix this guy's home for the holidays. Well, it turns out that what started last July as a personal favor from one of John Green's friends, he now has a house that's been absolutely redone. It looks fantastic. We have the new pictures, new cabinets and fixtures inside of the house. Really a great story and a good good showing of what people are out there doing for some of our less fortunate veterans out there, particularly our senior citizens. Yeah, and this it, we always we like to talk about like the story beforehand about the the sailors or whoever it was trying to sell equipment sold oh those are soldiers yeah sold yeah sorry <laughs> yeah let's get it right here yeah but then it, it's just great to hear that you know veteran community is capable of great things too yeah. and it's i mean <clears throat> that's the problem with news is a lot of time the scumbags get the spotlight yeah well you know? if it bleeds it leads man the bad yeah. things that happen something's got to be pretty bad to be a headline or really good so something that's pretty bad is going to draw more attention than something that's good it's just the way that it works. I worked in a newsroom in New York City, and you know we w- we would see good stories, heartwarming stories, and we would try to call on those. But we would call a lot faster on the double homicides or on the you know, whatever you had fires that were ripping through uh, locations, particularly in the wintertime in New York, as we've seen recently. Uh, it's a significant issue when you have that many people living on top of each other. A little fire can cause a lot of damage and a lot of loss of life. Uh, It's really horrifying when that can happen, but that's what people want to hear about. You know, if you have two stories, let's give you an example, two stories. One is Jake Hughes, army veteran is walking around his neighborhood and handing out um, Christmas cards to every family that uh, doesn't have a family. You know, you find out who doesn't have a family. You're handing out Christmas cards. Nice story. Heartwarming story. Let's say there's another story where Jake Hughes is walking around the neighborhood throwing bricks through everybody's windows. That's a bigger story because that's like, what's going on with that? That's crazy. That's not supposed to happen. It's those stories that will cause people to worry. Is this going to happen in my neighborhood next? Yeah, there's probably some fascinating psychology behind that. Oh, there is. And it's you can look at uh, local news advertisements. This has always been a, a thing that I've loved. And that is, you know. Are you the next person to be murdered? Tune in at 11. <laughs> what? Wait, who's, who's going to murder me? Am I, why am I next? And of course, you're going to tune in at 11. It's those things. It's not going to say like, are you the next person to uh, Are you the next person to successfully take your garbage out to the dumpster? Or is there going to be... It's not going to be that. It's going to be something, uh, something horrible. I remember there was one in... I think it was... I want to say it was on the news in New York. And it was regarding a story someplace else about... Um, people who were sex sex criminals, essentially not allowed to live within a certain distance of schools and other things like that. And how one community somewhere in the Midwest had built essentially like a development that was for uh, convicted sex offenders so that it would be away from all the things they're not supposed to live for. Also, I think the people were thinking, let's keep them all together so we can keep an eye on them. And I remember the news in New York was like, are sex predators moving into single development to gain pet, like to work together? Well, that's not what the story was, yeah. <laughs> but they asked it in the way of like a question, like, are they? No, they're not, but they're doing that in Kansas or wherever it is, <laughs> not here in New York. It's just, it's, it's fascinating to see the way that people do that. And there are going to be uh, certain things that grab people's attention. Another one, I can tell you again, from working in a New York city newsroom, anything that has the president, involved in it particularly this president president trump and we're going to finish off our news segment this morning we're talking about something 
<sighs> kind of silly happening with the army and their social media people. Oh, this one. The official army Twitter account has liked a tweet that mocks President Trump. So you know that there's been the issues with this uh, psychiatry professor from Yale saying that he's this and he's that. Of course, breaking the Goldwater rule for the American Psychiatric Association, which says you're not allowed to comment on public figures that you haven't actually interviewed and and done a diagnosis of. Uh, She's clearly breaking that rule. She's never spoken to the president, nothing like that, just saying what... uh, but saying what saying the media what, wants to saying hear. Saying what the media wants to hear, saying what she wants to believe, um, but doing so in a way that's like, well, aren't you a practicing psychiatrist? You're supposed to know better. Goldwater Rule actually named after, of course, Barry Goldwater in the late 60s. There were people doing the same thing to him uh, when he was a candidate for president. But because of that, he responded saying like, you know, I'm really smart, like a genius even, and blah, 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 and talking in the way that he normally does. That's just his style. Well, Mindy Kaling, actress from The Office and... Uh, Uh, The Mindy Project, I think, was the name of her show that was on Fox. Anyway, she tweeted out a a screenshot of her character on The Office saying, you guys, I'm like really smart now. You don't even know. It's kind of mocking the president. She's not a fan. The Army's official Twitter account liked that tweet. You know, let's look at it realistically. It was probably someone who didn't know they were on the Army account, thought they were on their personal account. But it's just funny to see. That's your uh, job to know that, though. And here's the thing that I want to know as we finish up our segment here. How come they're liking tweets from Mindy Kaling, but they're not liking my tweets that are telling great (laughs) stories about the Army? (laughs) What's up with that, Army Twitter people? Need to retweet me and Jake every day, all day. You yeah. listen to the morning briefing. <laughs> it's Intercom's ConnectingVets.com. Justin Brown of Hill Vets is live in studio after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Back to the morning briefing for Tuesday, January 9th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Hughes is your producer, and ConnectingVets.com is your website. Connecting Vets every day. We are a team of veterans and the veteran adjacent, as in military spouses, military dependents, and so forth and so on, working every day to bring you the latest and greatest news and information of note that affects you, the military and veteran communities. And there's a very interesting story on there from our own Jonathan Copanger about retirement, about what you need to know and where you might want to move. Now, he looked at the top places according to Wallet Hub for retirement, and these are based on, uh, you know, affordability, quality of life and healthcare. He went through these various lists, combined them with stats from the VA to find some of the best places for veterans to retire. So you can go and check that out right on ConnectingVets.com. It is on the front page. And if you're sitting in the cold weather, as so much of the country has been for the last couple of weeks, it's the one with the picture of the uh, lovely couple sitting on the beach someplace. (laughs) As if you're going to retire somewhere, retire to a beach. Now, in that story, you will find that Jonathan found a list of the top and bottom five states for retirement. What are they? Graded on affordability, healthcare, and general general quality of life, not genital quality of life. The top states for retirement, Florida, Wyoming, 
South Dakota, Iowa, and Colorado. So four cold states and one warm state. Yeah, Maybe that's why so many people go to Florida. That's, of course, on those, again, categories of affordability, health care, and general quality of life. The bottom five states, Hawaii, Connecticut, my home state, District of Columbia, Alaska, and Rhode Island, places that tend to be on the more expensive side. Yeah, to say the least, especially when it comes to Hawaii, where everything needs to be imported, much as it does to like a small island nation, perhaps, or Connecticut, where everything is taxed to the eyeballs. District of Columbia, Alaska, Rhode Island, they all have similar issues, although they all have different issues as well. You can go through the story and see how those states and others rate when adding in VA medical center facilities and information. You know, we've talked to a ton of amazing veterans here on The Morning Briefing, particularly our wounded warriors. There's so many men and women who sacrifice so much for our nation during their military careers who continue to do great things when they come home. Vets like Kirstie Ennis, who's currently in the process of summiting the seven highest peaks in the world despite losing a leg. Or like Rob Jones, who just finished the running 31 marathons in 31 days despite losing both legs. Or like Rico Roman, who we spoke to about his success on the ice for Team USA at the Paralympics. Here, take a listen. He's an Army veteran, and he's also an Olympic gold medalist. He's also a recipient of the Purple Heart. His name is Rico Roman, and he is a member of the U.S. Paralympic sled hockey team, and he's been on that team since 2011. He became a U.S. Olympic gold medalist at the 2014 Paralympic Winter Games in Sochi, Russia, and he's also helped Team USA to first place finishes at the 2012 USA Hockey Sled Classic Division A Championship and the 2013 USA Sled Hockey Cup in North Carolina. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the show Rico Roman. Rico, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Eric. Uh, Doing great. Well, we are really happy to have you on the show. And before we talk about all the great things you're doing with the sled hockey team and about that fascinating sport that I've actually had the privilege of witnessing a few times, I want to talk a little bit about your service. So tell us about that. I know you served in the Army, but where are you from? When did you join? And what did you do while you were in? Uh, So I'm originally from uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, I joined in uh, 2001. I served in Kosovo with uh, Bravo Company 214 Infantry, uh, Fort Drum, uh, 10th Mountain. I was an infantry soldier. I I served uh, three tours in Iraq. uh, And unfortunately, on my third tour to Iraq, I was injured by an improvised explosive device or IED otherwise. You know, we've talked to a lot of our wounded warriors, those who who went over there and came back, maybe missing a part of themselves, who seem to have had just a realization at some point where they had that feeling that life was never going to be the same. Life was over in some of their cases and then had a realization that, you know, it wasn't over. In fact, that life was going to change definitely, but may become really an opportunity for them to do positive things. Was there ever a moment like that for you? I mean, how did you first react after you were wounded and, and when did your uh, your outlook on life uh, maybe change for the better? Uh, I, I definitely uh, had some downtimes, especially being in the hospital and uh, losing a lot of weight and uh, having to do num- numerous surgeries. Uh, but I think for me, uh, it was definitely my family. Uh, when, when my children came to the hospital, I knew right away that uh, this wasn't about my injury anymore, that I had to get up on my feet or get up on crutches or get up on whatever I had to. Uh, to continue life and uh, and uh, 
be there for them. Yeah. And really, and that's, that's the amazing thing when we talk to, whether it's Kirstie Ennis, who was the cover model for ESPN's The Body Issue this year, Rob Jones, a Marine who lost both his legs to an IED and is running 31 marathons in 31 days. It's actually about halfway through that process. Seeing what those who were wounded in combat over there have been able to come back and do is extremely impressive. And of course, what you've been able to do with sled hockey has been as well. Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, but when you think back to your transition, and of course your transition came in, in a slightly different way, you know, most of most of us, just the contract ends and you get out, uh, you of course went through a devastating injury, which led to you uh, leaving the Army. What do you remember most about that transition period for you, going from active duty soldier Rico Roman to veteran Rico Roman? Um, I remember uh, just, just uh, a lot of work, honestly, and uh, doing a lot of different therapy, uh, you know, a, a whole year trying to save my leg. And then unfortunately, uh, due to complications, uh, having to amputate and having to start all over. Uh, and I was just fortunate enough uh, to get linked up with the right uh, groups uh, that, that kind of uh, pushed me in the right direction. And, and that's where I found sled hockey. And now let's talk about sled hockey. This is something when I was in school at Hofstra University after I got out of the Navy, we had a student in one of my classes who was differently abled and who was always wearing a jacket of a sled hockey team. And I didn't know anything about what sled hockey was at that point. I got to go and watch a game and it was incredibly impressive. But for the person out there who knows nothing about sled hockey, Rico, can you explain what the game is exactly? So it's, it's hockey. It's just, uh, we're in sleds, we're balancing on two blades, and you have uh, these uh, sticks that have picks on the bottom and a modified blade uh, that we hold on top. Uh, that you sh- So you're kind of like doing like a cross-country skiing motion while balance on- balancing on these blades across the ice. Same rules as stand-up hockey, but you're in a sled, so we kind of joke that uh, stand-up players got it easier because, you know, they – skate with their legs and shoot with their arms and we skate with our arms and shoot with our arms uh, <laughs> real physical a lot of hard hits uh you know so it's uh very impo- important for me to uh, make sure i get protein in my diet uh milk is an easy way to do that right and and, and keeping that active lifestyle uh, despite the fact that you lost your leg after you know the ied on your third tour in iraq but what was it about sled hockey? I mean, you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, you said, in Portland, Oregon. Were you a hockey player beforehand, or what was it that drew you to sled hockey in particular? Uh, I think that the thing that drew me to the team was uh, the guys. Uh, we had an all-veteran team there in, in San Antonio, uh, different branches of service, uh, Army, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, Air Force, uh, all on this team, and uh, some guys were either returned to service, uh, even though they were injured overseas. Uh, some of them had retired out that were on the team, and some guys like myself were still brand new and, and still going through ter- therapy. So for me, it was that locker room, uh, having that camaraderie again, uh, being a part of a team, that brotherhood. I miss that so much, being injured and, and separated from my guys, and, and that, that team gave me that again. And, of course, you've made it to the team, Team USA. You're a gold medalist after the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi. Uh, what has that meant to you? I mean, you're someone who wore the uniform for your nation. Now you're wearing a different uniform for your nation, competing in this sport. What does that feel like, going out there with USA across that jersey? 
I mean, just just talking about it and thinking about it, I get goosebumps. I mean, uh, it brings so much honor to me to be able to wear the red, white, and blue uh, and to be a part of that team and represent my country. Uh, You know, when we won gold in in 2014, it's it's something that I got to share with my family, all the friends and people that helped me get there. Um, and and I want to uh, do it again. I want to be a part of this team for 2018 and, and, and bring back gold. And speaking of that, we're now just about a year away from the Pyeongchang Paralympic Winter Games. For those people who don't know, the Paralympics take place in the same place, same time, same year as the Olympics. So, uh, you know, 2014 now, that's three years ago. What have you guys done for us lately? You know, are you guys going to go into 2018 and you expecting to win gold again? I mean, how are you and the team preparing for 2018? Uh, We've been training uh, super hard. Uh, We've been in and out of the, uh, whether it's on the ice or off the ice. Uh, currently, we have 17 guys, and we still need to uh, make uh, two more cuts. But the, the team is, is looking really, really good, really strong, really fast. Uh, I've been training at the Olympic Training Center alongside uh, male and female athletes, uh, Olympians and Paralympians. And uh, just being in there and training and, and at the high altitude, I mean, it, it's huge. And and if you're not in there uh, giving it your all, you know, you, you don't want to be that person. You want to be there in there working, working your tail off because, I mean, it's just an amazing facility. As you mentioned, diet and everything is, for any high-level athlete, incredibly important. You talked about the need for protein and the need for milk. I understand you're actually part of a campaign, and that's the Milk Life campaign. So tell us just a little bit about that and why you decided to join up with them. Uh, yes, uh, you know, being a part of Milk Life campaign is like a great fit for me. Uh, I've been drinking milk my whole life. Uh, it helps build my strength as an athlete. And also, uh, you know, my mom, you know, encouraged me to drink it at a young age. And it's always been a part of our life growing up. Uh, and so me as a father now, uh, you know, with my two children, I, I make sure that it's on the table uh, for my two. Right. And and are there other athletes who are on kind of Team Milk this uh, this year? There is uh, Chrissy Yamaguchi. Oh wow! Uh, ni- yeah, uh, it's uh, ninety-two uh, gold medals uh, figure skating. Uh, Maddie Bowman, uh, first ever Olympic gold medals in uh, women's half pipe skiing. Uh, she was also in Sochi in twenty fourteen. Uh, Jamie Anderson, first uh, Olympic ever gold medalist women uh, slope style snowboarding. Uh, and then a few other uh, also uh, sled hockey players that are on the team: Steve Cash and Kevin McKee. That is very cool. I had the pleasure of speaking with Christy uh, when I was working in radio up in New York. She had, I believe, I think it was a cookbook that was coming out that we were talking to her about. And she talked about how, you know, health is so important and diet is such an important part of that. And it sounds like milk is a big part of Rico Roman's diet, as well as Christy Hamaguchi and the rest of the athletes on Team Milk. Now, when we talk about that, you know, I think... The Paralympics sometimes people think, oh, that's, you know, it's that's great that they're going out there and they're doing this, but they don't they don't realize that there is such preparation going into it, such attention to detail when it comes to things like what you eat, what you drink, everything there. I mean, you are high level athletes. So what is the typical day like when you're in training? What are you eating? What are you guys doing? What are the practices like? Run me through a typical day of training. Uh, Typically uh, in the morning, uh, you know, before workouts, I usually have a little uh, cereal milk uh, or maybe just a little milk and a banana. Uh, nothing too big before I, I go in. You know, it's just an easy way to get, uh, you know, uh, protein in uh, early in the morning. And then uh, I'm at the Olympic Training Center. Um, 
it, it's just kind of uh, tapered down, but I was going in uh, three times a week with uh, weight training and then skating about four times out of the week, uh, maybe even sometimes more. Um, we play on two teams. Uh, some of us play also on club teams uh, throughout the United States, as well as being on the national team. Uh, it's, it's nobody's spot safe. We also have a de- uh, development team, which is kind of like our B team. So it's always pushing us. Uh, this next uh, weekend, we'll, we'll be out in Madison uh, skating out there, and um, we'll be competing with our B team, kind of doing an exhibition game. And so if you're not bringing your A game, you know, you can always, you can always get your spot taken. We're speaking with Rico Roman of the U.S. National Paralympic Sled Hockey Team. Rico is an Army veteran, a Purple Heart recipient, and an Olympic gold medalist, earning gold with the sled hockey team in Sochi, Russia, back in 2014, and now preparing for the Pyeongchang Winter Paralympic Games in 2018. Now, we talked about the fact that you wore the uniform for your nation while you were in the Army, and you continue to do that with Team USA across the chest of that jersey as you're playing sled hockey. Have you noticed any similarities or any big differences between you know your time with the military, uh, Team Army, as it were, and then Team USA for sled hockey? Uh, de- definitely, I do see a, a little bit of similarities. Uh, you know, just like in the military, we're from all over the different uh, different parts of the states, different accents, different foods we like, different religions, uh, different ethnicities. But all that's put to the side because uh, we all have that co- common goal, and that goal was to bring back go- a gold medal. And so sometimes, you know, guys will want to listen to country music in the uh, in the locker room or put on uh, hip hop. So we have all these different things that we have to put to the side, you know, and, and get along with each other uh, to compete and uh, basically become brothers on that team. And, and so I see a lot of similarities in that way. Uh, the differences, you know, of course, this is a game. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, war in itself. Um, so uh, there are some uh, differences, but also, you know, always being a professional, whether on and off the ice, I, I feel like my, my military background definitely uh, prepared me for that. And uh, again, it's just such an honor to to be a part of this team. Now, Rico, you mentioned that you're from Portland, Oregon, and I ha- always have to ask people who are from Portland, the TV show Portlandia, how accurately does it portray life in Portland, Oregon, do you think? I, I think there are some pretty funny uh, bits <laughs> to it that are uh, similar to the life there. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of reusing, reduce, and recycling, so uh, <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got a green thumb, so... Uh, it's, it's definitely similar to that. <laughs> now, where are you making home now? And along with sled hockey and all the training for that, I mean, is that a full-time thing for you or what else are you doing with your life now? It is, uh, you know, with uh, playing on uh, that team, on the national team. Uh, um, like I said, I'm currently in uh, Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center. Uh, they've got me there full-time. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking to move back to uh, Portland, Oregon and be back uh, near family. So I'm really excited about that. It's been almost 17 years uh, all over the States. And, and so I'm really excited to move back and, and be close to family. Uh, but it looks like this year um, they're going to be, tra- we're going to do a lot of our training out of Chicago, the whole team they're going to put together. And I think that is so important for our team since uh, the other teams have a, a big advantage of, of getting more together and getting more ice time together. So I think uh, putting us all together for about two months before we go to the games uh, and really getting that bond even off the ice as well as on the ice uh, will, will be huge for our team. 
Who are some of the other teams that are kind of your big competition out there as you head into 2018? What are some of the teams that you guys are keeping an eye on as you head into the next Paralympic Games? Well, I, I mean, I feel like we, we prepare for everyone just like, you know, in the military, uh, you, you don't know who you're going to be facing. So, and, and just like in 2014, uh, uh, we, we had no clue that uh, Russia would be in that gold medal match with us. So I feel like we, we prepare for, for the worst and, and whoever's there, you know, uh, uh, we want to be in that gold medal match. And, um, and, and a lot of the teams look great. Uh, Korea looks great. Uh, Canada looks great. Um, Italy has been working really hard, so we we don't know who will be there, but we definitely want to be one of those teams there in that gold medal match. Are there any other veterans on the team alongside you on the U.S. team? There is. Uh, we have a total of seven uh, veterans that are on the uh, on the team currently. Uh, we have five Marine Corps veterans and two Army veterans that are on the U.S. national team at the moment. Wow, that is very cool, and it's very cool that you uh, you seven that are on the team are kind of members of, of several communities, and you know the fact that, Rico, you are a Purple Heart recipient, you're an Olympic gold medalist, you're a member of Team USA. It, it, do you ever feel any pressure when it comes to, when it comes to you know, all of the things that you represent for all different people? I mean, you're kind of a role model for a lot of people. How, how does that feel, and do you ever feel pressure from that? Uh, no, I, I don't really feel any pressure from it. I, you know, I've, I've always been myself um and like i said i've always wanted to represent my country in the right way being a professional whether i had the uniform on or the uniform off and the same goes for when i have that hockey jersey on or my hockey jersey off and and just conducting myself uh like you know just a a regular citizen and 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 being proud of who i am and where i'm from and um again uh no no pressure uh this will be my second time going to the games so uh the 2014 games seemed like they went by so quick once the game started. So this time I'm going to uh, just enjoy every second of the games and, and, and have fun there. We're speaking with Rico Roman. Rico, Purple Heart recipient, U.S. Army veteran, gold medal winner at the 2014 Sochi Olympics in sled hockey at the Paralympic Games. Now, becoming part of the disabled athlete, the Paralympian community. An interesting aspect of that is, you know, there are a lot of uh, kids out there who are disabled who, you know, this is kind of what they aspire to. And as you've become part of that community, I'm sure they look up to you as well as, uh, as, as other kids out there uh, within that community and outside of it. How does it feel to know that you are such a role model for now several communities, really, for the disabled veteran community, uh, the general disabled community? How does that feel? It feels great. I mean, I feel like I hope the message of, you know, you know, being out there and getting um, and being able to do anything is, uh, that you put your mind to as possible. I feel like uh, if you believe in it and you know you can do it and you know you can achieve it and you put good thoughts in your head and uh, just kind of focus on, uh, on doing the right things and putting in the work, uh, anything is possible. You know, one of the things I like to ask our disabled vets who have gone on to great success like you have, I mean, an Olympic gold medal, doesn't the success doesn't get too much better than that. But, you know, I like to ask them about the fact that we have veterans who are injured, who are disabled for life, who come back and, and are still struggling, are still having difficulty with it. If you had the opportunity to speak to each one of them, what do you think your general message would be to that veteran who's maybe still having a tough go of it and having a tough time adjusting after coming back uh, with life having changed so much? 
Uh, I definitely, uh, you know, me personally, I, I, I definitely had a tough time, you know, I mean, being injured and, and being right back in the civilian life is tough, you know, and there's a lot of changes and, and, you know, you got to keep up with the pace. I think the biggest thing for me was, was getting around other veterans, you know, that are here that have, that have transitioned, uh, whether it's staying in the military or they've transitioned out of the military, but getting around a, a good group of veterans uh, is is key, and and being around good people, having that good circle is is key to uh, being able to move on and and uh, have a successful life. Now, if there are disabled veterans out there, and a lot of us, well, not me at this point in my life, but at one point I was active. I even did play hockey. In fact, while I was in, I played a little bit of inline hockey overseas. Uh, I was a goalie. I didn't want to get hit by anybody, so I put on the extra padding. But if there's a disabled vet out there who's looking for a way to get active and get back into a sport, sled hockey or otherwise, what advice would you give them on on getting started in that? Um, So they can go to uh, USA Hockey. Uh, There's club teams all around the country, uh, and then as well as uh, veteran teams that have kicked up, and it's uh, so much fun. I mean, whether you uh, aspire to be, you know, at this level and play at the Paralympic Games, or if you just want to play at club level, I mean, the the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the friendship, all of that's there, and, and again, being a part of the community again, uh, it's huge, and, and I, I would I would push people that way uh, anytime I run into uh, someone with a physical disability that hasn't heard about sled hockey. We've been talking with Rico Roman. Rico is an Army veteran, a Purple Heart recipient, a gold medalist at the 2014 Paralympic Games in Sochi in Russia, currently in preparation for the 2018 Games in Pyeongchang, South Korea, and also a member of Team Milk among, alongside other athletic luminaries such as his fellow gold medalist, Christy Yamaguchi, U.S. figure skater from, what was it, the 92 Olympics, right? I think that's when she won gold. Yes. Yeah. So if people are interested in finding out more about Team USA sled hockey, where can they go to do that to find out specifically about your team and what you guys are doing at the Paralympics level? I would definitely go to uh, USA, uh, USA Hockey. Uh, that's definitely one uh, for sure. Uh, as I'm sure uh, U.S. Uh, Paralympics might have uh, a site as well. Right, and and the team milk uh, aspect of it, the fact that you guys are teamed up with Team Milk and you are personally, where can people go to find out more about that? Uh, yes, they can go to uh, milklife.com uh, slash Team USA. Milklife.com slash Team USA. Well, we've been speaking, as I mentioned, with Rico Roman, and he is probably getting up to uh, do some training out there today. So is that what's on the schedule for today? You have any training coming up today, Rico? Uh, yes, actually, we're going to get on the ice uh, with Team Milk uh, here this afternoon uh, and do a little interviewing and have a little fun on the ice. I'm super excited about it. Uh, anytime getting on the ice is just nothing but fun for me. Well, Rico, we want to thank you so much for your time today. And while we want to congratulate you on that gold medal you got in 2014, you better be bringing home some gold next year, brother, when you come back from South Korea. Does that sound good? Heck yeah. We want to thank Rico Roman and Justin Brown of Hill Vets. You've been listening to The Morning Briefing for Tuesday, January 9th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up tomorrow, American Legion's going to be in the house. That's always a big one and always a good time. Going to be talking about their legislative priorities in 2018. Hope you have a great day out there. And hey, see you tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.